Okay, lots of things happening in the news this week, Reed, but um, I'm not sure if you've missed this news story. Mark Zuckerberg agreeing to fight Elon Musk in a cage match? Oh, gosh. I mean, why not? I guess. Can they both lose? Is that possible? I'm not sure I could be less interested in something. Well, I'm just wondering, are they going to live stream it on Facebook? Is it, Or is it going to be in the metaverse? It's probably in the metaverse in space, but it's not really space. It's just the metaverse really high in the air. I mean, literally could not think of something that I'd be less interested in doing. I agree. And you're talking to the person that sat through the season finale of Vanderpump Rules. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 337. That on the other side of the microphone is Chris Boyer. I am Reed Smith. Chris Boyer dialing in today from Swiftyopolis. That's right. Our mayor renamed Minneapolis for one day in honor of Taylor Swift performing tonight. Oh, boy. Well, that's good. As an aside, it may be a pre-recommendation. People have heard me talk about Nate Bergazzi, the comedian. He has a podcast called Nate Land. You, not, not every week, but they cover like each you know episode, maybe like about a state well, they just did Minnesota. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, didn't know this, but everybody thinks it's a land of, uh, was it 10,000 lakes? That's right. Technically, there's over 11,000. And they also said that it should be really named after, you know, small sodas. Like Crush and RC Cola. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mini sodas. Yeah. Anyway, so thanks everybody for coming. Everybody's tuned out by now, probably. But uh, <laughs> if you have not, thanks again for listening. Quick plug before we get to this uh, episode. Quick plug for the website touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health. You can sign up for the TPS report, which is um, an email every Monday morning. Five articles to get your week started. We hope that is a little value add, something that we can provide you, the listener, for tuning in. So, yeah, so we'll give you a second. Go check that out. Those around the site while you're there. And then we'll be back on the other side of this break with uh, today's episode. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. 
Excited to get into today's topic, Reed. But first, I think we should kick off the show and talk about the pledge. Okay. The pledge. Pledge or the pledge? Not pledge, the furniture cleaning uh, product. Um, okay. This is the pledge. The pledge to advance healthcare operations. I'm not sure you heard about this. But due to the fact that our health system is kind of in a, in, a, in a hot mess, that's a technical term there, a lot of challenges and stress is put onto us by the pandemic and macroeconomic pressures and all this other stuff. A couple of companies that we know and have had on the show before, Simpler and Class, along with mm. 26 other healthcare organizations, have identified five areas of focus where every health system can improve healthcare operations to increase efficiency, improve margins, and lessen administrative and operational burden on all healthcare workers so they could focus on what they do best, which is providing patient care. And they're inviting people to sign the pledge on their website. We have a link to it in the show notes. Let's go through the elements of the pledge, those five points that they said. So I guess go sign it, maybe, if you agree yeah. with these five things. Is that, is that what we're saying? I think so. So first one, empower decisions. So unify and standardize healthcare operations, tools, reporting, and analytics for decision-making, ensuring we are getting near real-time valuable insights from data. Okay, I'm, I'm in so far. Sounds good. Near real-time. Near real-time, yeah. That's great. I'm, I like that. Okay, number two yeah. is prioritize user experience. To champion user-oriented technology that supports and strengthens an exhausted healthcare workforce. All about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see a downside so far. Third, advocate for better data. So unite around one dynamic and reliable source of truth for provider data, as well as other related healthcare operational data. I feel like they've been listening to a lot of my conversations and meetings so far. <laughs> Uh, Let's circle back to that one in a little bit here, but let's go to the fourth point, which is expand access and build loyalty. Exceed the expectations of today's transient healthcare consumer and patient access and loyalty ecosystems that rival those found in other industries. Okay. Exceed the expectations. That's interesting. Of the transient healthcare consumer too. Yeah, the transient is that a new persona? Is the, do I need to... The transient. <laughs> yeah, transient consumer. Okay, last thing. Uh, facilitate the advancement of care. So embrace proven innovation and automation to streamline care and operational efficiencies, raising expectations for how our industry delivers care. All right. I think those are really nice pie-in-the-sky aspirational statements. But you and I know that it's not as easy as it seems to be stated here. There's a lot here. I think there's a lot of different decision makers and kind of owners across these different things. Everybody's coming at like data is a good example. Everybody's coming at data from kind of their point of view or their use case. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot here. I don't disagree. No, I don't disagree. I mean, but can you just try this across an organization and be like, all right, everybody, here we, here we go. Maybe you print it out and just stick it to the wall, right? Put it on the outside of your door. And every time someone comes in, you have to ask them to pledge their loyalty to these five uh, points. Yeah. I mean, if you print it out, it's real. So, 
means you mean business. And, you know, I think each and every one of these could be a series of podcasts, quite frankly, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so much here. But today, you and I are going to focus in on one of those. And that's going back to the third point. They indicate unite around one dynamic and reliable source of truth for provider data. In my experience, that is notoriously difficult. You know, it's almost impossible to have. I mean, a source of truth on pretty much any data source across the organization is tough just in and of itself, right? And we've talked some historically about, you know, data governance and, you know, kind of who owns it and some of those types of things. And so, again, as we think about provider data, that means a number of things depending on probably who you ask within the organization. Because provider data is used in multiple different ways. In fact, we have a list here of different ways that provider data can provide valuable information in a health system. And first and foremost, you need good provider data for patient care and referrals, because that helps with matching patients to the appropriate healthcare professionals based on their needs, you know, their locations or specialties or whatever it is. And it allows organizations to refer patients to the right providers. So a call center needs a really good listing of all the providers available that they can refer to if someone calls in to make an appointment. Uh, your find a doctor can benefit from something like that. Even for referring community providers, you want to give them a list of of providers that are up to date and in your organization. Yeah, I mean, kind of along those lines, you're kind of feeding into that to some extent, I guess, is credentialing. I think about our our facilities and our healthcare systems, you know, you have like employed doctors, but then you have people that just have privileges at maybe one of your facilities. And that's pretty common in states like Texas, for example, where you can't employ doctors technically. And so organizations are using that provider data to access and verify the credentials, qualifications, experiences, you know, et cetera, and actually getting them privileged within a particular organization or, or system. So that's another use case for provider data. Here's another one, network management. You use provider data to establish and manage provider networks within insurance plans or healthcare organizations that may have their own insurance plan or their own network, so to speak. Having a good provider data source lets you determine which ones are in network and also help you with the contract negotiation and any kind of information related to those participating providers as it relates to your network. After network management, this is probably one that hits home for for a lot of people that listen to this show, certainly, but the kind of find a physician appointment scheduling world. So obviously, you know, having a source of truth that feeds into, in most cases, your website, but it could be other places, apps and otherwise, to allow the consumer to find a physician, quote unquote, and schedule appointments Having that information so you know what's available, times of the appointments, the types of care that you can go see the physician for, the ways you can see, you know, virtual care versus in-person, et cetera. So that one is one, obviously, we've all probably spent a fair amount of time with. Yeah, absolutely. Another use case for good provider data is quality and performance monitoring. Uh, Monitoring, you know, the performance of your providers Tracking key metrics, such as patient outcomes or adherence to clinical guidelines, even patient satisfaction and care delivery is here. This Mm. is really designed for you to identify areas of improvement, uh, implement quality initiatives, and even make some informed decisions regarding provider performance. So another good use case for provider data. Another big one for the folks listening here, analytics and reporting. So a lot of times uh, provider data is, is often analyzed or used to, to you know, kind of create or generate insights 
of which is then used to make decisions within the health system. So, you know, trends, for example, how from a utilization standpoint, you know, where do we have bottlenecks? Where do we need more physicians or more capacity, for example, around a certain service line or service? How do we think about how we grow as an organization, the demand, you know, things like that? There's one more. Research and population health management. Provider data, when anonymized and aggregated, can contribute to research efforts and even population health management. Identifying patterns, risk factors, health disparities, and enabling the development of targeted interventions and strategies to improve public health. So a wide variety of use cases, Reed, for for provider data. It's no wonder... It's hard for us to get a single source of that data because that data is used in so many different ways. It is um, one of, uh, if maybe, I'm trying to think if it's the most critical, but one, it's certainly one of the most important data sets and sources even that, that we deal with. And so whether you're in you know, kind of our world of marketing and communications and consumer experience, or you're in the physician organization, finance, planning, operations, like this, this goes into all of the, all the areas that you can, you know, probably think of. Mm-hmm. Including some digital front door strategies that we do. Let's do this, Reed. Let's take a brief pause. And then when we come back, you and I will talk a little bit about provider data and what's helping and what's sometimes is hurting, you know, the, the efforts to kind of connect them all together. And then we we'll look forward to a really good interview later on in the show with Cynthia Newton, where she's going to get into some very specific use cases about provider data. But we'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so provider data. Is it helping or hurting you? Well, funny enough, that is the name of the article that we found from our friends over at InterSystems. I, I think it's interesting, right, where we start looking at, well, what you know, what is this actually doing for your organization? You mentioned the digital front door piece. That's an interesting one because if you have incorrect information or bad data hygiene, then it becomes more problematic than it is helpful. And when we look at the use of this provider data within the organization, there are some interesting trends that we're seeing. HIMSS did a survey of healthcare executives, and they found that 21% or more of their organization's provider data directory is claimed to be of poor quality. And so therefore, they're making it a very top priority to basically develop a standardized provider data management system. And as a subsequent follow-up, the same study asked, which of the following are challenges or barriers that you're trying to solve for with provider data management? And the top three answers read were improving patient's experience and satisfaction, patient engagement, and referral management. 
which is really revenue growth. I probably would have picked the same. I'm trying to kind of think here for a second of what poor quality means, but also, you know, what other answers maybe they were picking from. But for example, a patient engagement is, you know, our consumer engagement is what I'm responsible for broadly. So yeah, I mean, it, it does, does, you know, bleed into that quite a bit. They're talking here about the fact that cleaning up your provider information is also about optimizing the digital front door and side doors, they say. We've mentioned that before uh, about the different doors. Also, good provider information can help guide referrals. So if you look at the Chartist group, that's the front door, side door, and stage door. When we're talking about the B2B or the referrals side, it reduces leakage, basically, right? So it keeps people in network. So this is an interesting stat, just as an aside here, that referral leakage for healthcare systems in the U.S. is estimated at upwards of 97 million for every 100 affiliated physicians. Wow. Which contributes to a 20% loss of healthcare systems annual revenue. Oh my gosh. So that's not insignificant. No. So yeah, let's fix that. That's a pretty big number there. A recent healthcare innovation article also noted that most healthcare systems lose an average of 200 to $500 million to competitors each year due to outward migration of patients. Wow. Wow. So we need to get provider data fixed, right, at our organizations. But why is it so hard to do that, Reed? I mean, you and I have done this for years. What is causing it to be so difficult to kind of bring together to manage your provider data? Well, the article outlines a couple of those, right? A couple of those reasons. I, the first one they mention here is is just the complexity of the data and the relationships within. Uh, they say in here that the relationship between providers and their organizations or providers and health plans even create a number of layers that you have to then kind of interrelate. Uh, so the example they give here is a provider that is part of a large health system might also belong to an independent uh, like physician group or association, which contracts with multiple payers. However, not every provider in the practice might be you know, a member of the same or have different relationships with different payers. I faced that in some of my find a doctor work in the past. Like that gets really complicated really quick. Mm-hmm. Another thing is the source of data, because that really matters. So here's an example. An, a- an address associated with a claim might be the billing address where to send information about payments, which can be also be very different from the location where the provider practices, then the practice address may be different depending on the day of the week even. Credentialing information also can exist in multiple places, but the credentialing system should be and is considered a lot of times the only source of truth, but it doesn't always carry the relevant information for these other use cases that we described before the break. The third one here is my favorite, uh, which is that data represents people. People don't always have simple relationships. Uh, and again, the example they give here, OB Jim may practice four days a week in a private office as part of a large IDN, uh, obviously accepts you know, commercial insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, et cetera. But on Fridays, works over at an FQHC or fe- you know, Federally Qualified Health Center and accepts Medicaid where maybe didn't accept Medicaid, for example, in the in the clinic, and so you know there's some complexity there about well, where do you go and wh- what insurance is accepted where. You know I've run into issues where it's like okay well, we've got a physician 
with two physical office locations and three phone numbers. So it's like, well, well, hang on a second. So it's bad enough that there's two different locations, but you can kind of solve for that a little bit, right? It's like location one, phone number one, location two, phone number two. What do you do with phone number three? Like, why is there a third phone number? You know, it's just, you know, and then you got the guy that only sees left-handed people on Tuesdays and the person that like hunts Friday afternoons. And I, you know, it's just, it gets super complex when you're trying to think of in this DIY world that we're in of uh, people going to the website and scheduling, well, you're offering up inventory on the backside, you know, supply and demand, right? So you've got the supply side. Well, if there's not consistency there, it's really hard to create a consistent experience. Just thinking about this makes my head hurt a little bit, right? Because there are exceptions to all the rules and every, it could be even each hospital has different rules about how they handle certain IPAs versus employed physicians, et cetera. It could get very, very complex. And then the last point that the article brings up is that the data comes from multiple sources. So it's not just one source, even though we like credentialing to be the source, not all the information you need to create this complete comprehensive view exists in that one system. It exists in many systems. There are many sources of truth that contain this information. HRIS may have different data about employed providers versus non-employed providers. There's information about licensing, where the provider gets their degree. There's an entirely different system that has data about where to send billing information. And by the way, if they do clinical research, that probably comes from a different data source too. Synthesizing all this data into one provider data management system is a very, very complex project. But if you think about it, Reed, I think it's important for us to consider it, considering we talked about 20% of loss in a healthcare system's annual revenue is due to the fact of referral leakage. There has to be a business case for this, don't you think? I'm just sorry. I lost you a minute ago. You said something about an IPA, and now I feel like I just need... I need an IPA or something relative to what we're talking about. <laughs> it's a complex space. And right now, I mean, and you've done this a number of times and people listening have done this a number of times, but we're, we're going through rebuilding websites. And, you know, of course, that creates a lot of uh, need for data, right? And data consistency and integrity because of the things that we just mentioned, right? The most commonly the, the physician directory and scheduling and some of, the, some of the digital front door components, I guess I'm referring to. So, yeah, I can appreciate just the complexity here. Yeah, it certainly is. And while this isn't a really good answer to any of the, the problems, I think it actually outlines the challenge at a, at a much, much greater level. And it isn't just getting the data to work on the find a doctor. This is about data that's being used to drive multiple aspects of a health systems business. And so it's very important. And with that, Reed, I think let's you and I stop analyzing the problem and let's uh, take a break. And when we come back, Cynthia Newton joins us and she's going to talk to us about a variety of different things, uh, payer directories, who is providing the data. She started digging into other sources of provider data, like the NPI data, the National Provider Index data that's coming from CMS. Mm -hmm. And she's finding data inaccuracies 
in there as well, which only makes the situation that much more complex. But uh, she's been in the space for a long time. The interview is really interesting. So stay tuned after the break here. And then Reed, you and I will be back to close out the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am excited to have someone that's been on the show twice before. Welcome to your third time on the show, Cynthia Newton. Thank you, Chris. It's exciting. Third time. Third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. And I went back and looked in our annals and it's been a while. We'll talk about that in just a second. Why don't we start off by first allowing you to do an introduction, share a little bit about who you are, your experience. I recently launched Cynthia Newton Consulting. So this is my second foray into business ownership. I had my own agency for about 15 years. It was called HCCG, Healthcare Consulting Group. I was pretty much known as the GMB guru for healthcare. So that gives you a little bit of glimpse into what we're going to be talking about today. And it's everything provider related, um, hospital related, health system related, and data and how that gets managed on third parties predominantly. Let me go back to where I began. About 24 years ago, websites were just in the um, dawn of infancy. I think we had just launched the consumer-facing websites when I started in healthcare. And I helped healthcare systems make cost-efficient purchases in the yellow pages. So I'm going to really date myself now. (laughs) Um, So that was my first experience with provider data, believe it or not. So there's a thing called the white pages back then that were attached to yellow pages. And the white pages were basically name, address, and phone number. It's what drove 411 information. So when you wanted to get in touch with a doctor and you literally picked up your phone, dialed 411 and said, I'm looking for the number for Dr. Boyer. And they gave you the phone number. So that data was always something that was needed by my organization for my clients. So I could take that information and make sure it gets got published correctly in these archaic directories that hit our doorsteps. And as soon as those things published, as you can imagine, they were usually pretty inaccurate because even back then doctors had a tendency to move around and and addresses and phone numbers changed. So that's where I began. Um, And then the dawn of the internet came And everything started going from print directories to online directories. And naturally, I had to transition my business to support my healthcare clients in that movement. And so that kind of brought us to 2010, 2011, when Google reared its ugly little head. Um, Initially, it was local business center. And I was just getting educated on, you know, what is this? How did that data get there? Why is it wrong? And how do I fix it? And um, I created online listing management way back then for healthcare. I was it. I was the first one who started managing Google My Business, what became Google My Business, now Google Business Profile, but also with health grades, vitals, all those third parties on how do I keep this data accurate? The ever challenging 
question. How do I keep this data accurate? It's interesting, Cynthia, you have this great experience. You were like sort of looking at structured data before there was even that term structured data in the digital world, right? It's like just sort of standardizing provider data in a way that makes sense to the different channels that you're publishing it on. Over the years, we've been talking about this, you know, this this concept of provider data and how important it is to our organizations, but how difficult it is. And in fact, the first show you were on was back in August of 2017. So almost six years, Cynthia, since you've been on before. We discussed the concept of a unified physician profile or UPP, as you were calling it, as a way to kind of standardize provider information. Why are we still talking about it now? I don't know. I think now the big term is PDW. You'll hear people call that word, PDW, Provider Data Warehouse. I think that we have been struggling for all of this for all this time, um, doing it manually, most of us. Um, still, the largest healthcare organizations, a lot of them still do it manually. So um, I just don't think it's something that we have done a good job at solving for. Well, you know, we think about data in healthcare, it's very important. And there are a lot of efforts to standardize data and to kind of streamline data. And I think, you know, even like big EMR projects kind of standardize patient data. And there are these big data warehouse initiatives that are going on. Why haven't we really taken a significant step in doing that around the providers? It's, it, it seems like provider data is one of the most critical things we could do, yet many health systems haven't really gone undergone this kind of standardization of physician data. No, they haven't. I, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is if we think about, you know, patient data, right? You're, you're one patient and it's usually centered on, we have an identifier, right? Which is our social security number in most systems, right? That's one individual. It's one record that you're managing. And then you have all the data points associated with that patient, that, and, that engagement, you know, at that time, at that place in time, they, you know, that patient went to this place and, and had this done. And that's easy, you know, easy to collect, but we've, we find definite value in using all of those data points and gathering those in our, into our health system. And that's one set of data, you know, and we're drowning in data in healthcare. That's one of the problems. Um, and it's all linked. It's not like it's just, it should be disparate points of data because they're all linked. I'm a patient. I saw a particular provider at a location. Which provider was it? What location was he at or she at when I saw them? And so that crossover to provider data, if we look at that's one of our, our most valuable assets as a healthcare organization, right? No different than all the equipment that we've invested money into, right? They can probably tell us what where every piece of machinery is, how many hours are left before it needs to be serviced next. You know, they have little trackers on those machines most of the time. They know exactly where their assets are located. Well, providers are, are very similar in that they are our assets that are very valuable to us, but yet we have the hardest time. We don't put trackers on our providers. <laughs> um, if you know, they're not telling us, right? But <laughs> a lot of the time is, you know, we have one, a doctor and we do have an identifier tied to that doctor. It's his NPI number. Uh, it's, you know, we don't want to use social security numbers and, and stuff because that's private. NPI number is a public facing um, number that's associated with a provider, along with other pieces that you wouldn't want to share his, his or her DEA number, their, you know, they, their state license numbers, there's a lot of identifiers for providers. So we tend to gravitate towards the NPI number. 
one of the problems with NPI is that it's a CMS number that gets assigned. And way back then, when their database only housed the doctor's primary location for seeing patients and then a mailing address, which is often associated with the billing address. Um, that's changed. You know, NPI has expanded to be able to house multiple addresses for a provider, which is great. But that data within that NPI, you know, then we have to go, okay, where else can that data be outside of our organization? So even if we're able to manage that data within our organization, the doctor only gets that one NPI number. So now we have that challenge of, well, he has three or four offices that he sees patients at. And so you have to now associate, that's really four records. So if you think about a lot of different databases out there, if you're a doctor who has an address at at different um, parts of the city or the region or the market, those are four records that are going to go over to Google or Bing or other mapping. If it goes over to third parties, whether that's payers or whether that's a healthcare vertical site, most often you have that profile, if you will, that has a doctor and then it has all his or her locations that they see patients at. So it's that one to many ratio. But on most third parties that are from um, a mapping derivative, it's it's only one record. So you need four records for that one doctor. So you can see it starts getting really complicated when you have to split an NPI, anything associated with that NPI number for that provider, and then split it out. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges with managing that data for a provider. And it changes. It changes quite frequently is the the, the challenge here. You know, Reed and I were, have been talking in the show about the fact of trying to manage data within a health system is difficult enough, right? And even when you're managing your own data, whether it's in the EMR or it's in the credentialing database or what have you, now you're introducing additional complexity with the NPI number, which I always thought was like the golden standard of provider data that would you refer to, but it's actually, and the NPI number, you know, populates the web, Google and other places. You know, a lot of people use that as a source of truth. And now suddenly we're, we're dealing with data that's disparate in these outside systems as well as the internal systems. This just sounds so very challenging as an organization. You have the expertise around this, Cynthia. What are some ways that you're seeing data being used within a health system? Like what are the different use cases? You know, in, within the health system, you're going to have a lot of different points of data. You mentioned some of them, the credentialing department. Managed care, so the folks that are managing the relationships with the payer organizations. You know, that's a whole nother group of people that need that data and it needs to be submitted to the payers. So there's recently a lot more legislation going on. You might have heard about the No Surprises Act tied to um, caring for patients in that you don't want them to get surprises (laughs) on their bill, right? But there was a caveat. To that. So in there, there's a rule that CMS placed on the payer organizations to say, you have to verify your provider data that's in your directories for your members every 90 days, once every 90 days. And that's called attestation. So there's a new process that all healthcare organizations have to go through with their payer organizations. Once every 90 days, 
they have to look, exchange the data, and confirm that the data that the payer has in their directory is accurate. What was happening was patients or consumers were going back to CMS and going back to the states and complaining and saying, but I went to this website and I selected this provider and So I I declared them mine. I chose your insurance based on the fact that my provider that I chose accepts that insurance. And then I found out he doesn't. And so CMS started getting deluged with all kinds of people complaining about choosing a provider, choosing a health insurance, and then being told that they could not go to that provider with that insurance. And that kind of started this whole like, attestation, what is now attestation with CMS saying to the payers, like, hey, guys, you need to make sure this data is correct that you're putting in your directories for your members. And if it's not, I'm going to fine you. So there's actually been fines levied against these payers for having inaccurate data. But think about our whole conversation, the provider side, that we struggle to to manage our provider data within our own organization and keep it up to date on our find a docs. That's a challenge for most organizations. How in the heck is any third party going to have more accurate data than our own? It's impossible. Yeah. It's, it, this just sounds like an, uh, an impossible situation to fix. I, I know there's hope here, right? There's a, there's a way through here, but as we think about this and provider data is so critical for an organization I think you even said that it's more critical than other aspects of your marketing technology stack when you're creating digital front doors. What's your position on that? Yeah, I really feel that without accurate provider data, and it starts with your own, it starts on your Find-A-Doc, it's the ability for consumers to be able to to find the care that they need and and get there quickly and easily. Uh, Because if they're not able to identify those providers, you know, and know, okay, this is where the provider is, this is what he does or her, she does. And are they accepting or not accepting new patients? Do they accept my insurance or not accept my insurance? That That's the bread and butter of patient acquisition. And without that data correct, you're going to have a really hard time, you know, directing patient volumes to the places that we need to be directing that those consumers to. You know, I'm wondering, and as we think about this, Cynthia, as you're kind of unpacking this at a deeper level for me, I'm wondering, have we forgotten all about the fact that provider data is ultimately there to serve the consumer as well as all of the other systems that are there? You know, I have this theory that the reason why we can't standardize provider data is because provider data is constructed in a way to serve that particular use case. If it's credentialing, it's for credentialing purposes. If it's for your EMR, it's for the EMR purposes. If it's for, you know, find a doctor, it's for find a doc purposes. And now in your case, right, for MPI and for, you know, even submitting to the, the payer websites and other things like that, they have unique purposes and therefore, we're just designing the data or structuring the data in a way to serve those different, you know, insular uh, applications or use cases. Have we forgotten that consumers value this data more than these other systems? Or is that, is that, is that just, am I, am I living a pipe dream here by thinking about it that way? No, I think you bring a good point. You know, a lot of the times we do have all these systems, if you will, that need to use different pieces of data in different ways that run our business of healthcare. 
what is patient facing, you know, is very different than what's internal facing. And so what ends up happening is we have all these internal facing ways of, of naming our organizational pieces, whether that's, you know, we have rooftops, are they facilities? Do they house practices? Do they, do we call them practices or do we call them, you know, they fall under service lines and sometimes they get very convoluted names associated with them internally. And, and then we're, we don't think about, well, how do we exactly talk about these entities on the consumer side? What are we marketing? What are we promoting? Are we promoting, you know, our internal name for that department that falls within that facility? Or do we actually call it, you know, our branded name and there's a practice name that's associated with it that the patient sees? And so a lot of these times, those things get very convoluted and they're not matching up in our internal systems to what we need to put forth in the external in a way that people can understand it, right? I, I get it. Like, you know, uh, credentialing information often carries over the, where the billing happens at that provider, which may or may not be where the patients see the provider, so to speak. Let me ask you a question that may not be unanswerable, Cynthia. First time I've probably ever done this in an interview. So don't don't fret if I if you can't answer this. Where is the source of truth for for, for, for for provider data, where should health systems consider it to be the source of truth for, for, for provider data? It's a good question. I, I think we need to we need to build it. I have my little perfect world, right? That I that I think, and I really started thinking about this. You know, like what what could we do? How do we get there? And you know, I recently watched a client go through a lot of transformations all at once meaning they were converting their EMR from one EMR to another. They were moving their provider website, their Find-A-Doc, from one, one company to another. They were onboarding with a, um, a, a, another third-party um, application that required provider data. So this was all going on at the same time. And I took a step back and I was talking to the team on the, you know, on the tech, team, tech side and said, hey, guys, did anyone do an, a data map? <laughs> Did anyone actually look at the data architecture of these projects and take all of the, the applications that we are working with and map them out? Because in every third party, especially application, any software or platform, it's all database driven, right? It's all data. But yet you can have the fields might have different names. The content of the field might have different structures. And so you really have to, when you start talking about integrations and building, you know, everybody wants an API. APIs are tough. You know, in concept, in theory, they're very simple. But when you start talking about where am I mapping? What is my source of truth that I'm going to API from to all of these different entities that need this data and do all of those places that need to receive my data do they look alike are those fields called the same thing is the the data structured the same way for those fields and i can tell you no absolutely they are not you might get a few here and there that are actually consistent but I'm talking even just specialty. One organization calls all the specialties versus the third party calls the specialties versus what Google calls a specialty. They all differ somewhat. And so you have to, you end up having crosswalks and lookup tables and all these 
these, these things just to map data effectively. So how do we fix this? I really think internally, we need to own our, our first party data. And we need to build a database, a data warehouse that takes all of this into consideration and we define our data in our, in our terminology. Would it be great if everybody followed the same specialty structure throughout our industry? That would be wonderful if we all just followed what the American Hospital Association or the American Medical Association use, but we just don't. Um, but at minimally, we need to have it internally across our organization be consistent. That's step number one. <laughs> That's step number one. Like get all your provider data consistently into one place. And I'm talking even the structure of your addresses. You know, so often, so many of these different databases, if you're allowing people to freeform anytime they put an address in that's associated with a doctor at a particular location, you are going to end up with inconsistencies. It comes down to even that consistency of how you're spelling street. Is it S-T? Is it S-T period? Is it S-T-R-E-E-T? And you'll, you'd be shocked when you pull data from somebody's Find-A-Doc um, and the, the ways, all the ways, one address is represented in that database. So, I mean, it comes down to getting that centralized source of truth and having it consistent in every way, shape, or form. Yeah, I noticed you said a centralized source of truth, right? You didn't say credentialing here. You no. didn't say the EMR. Be a user, right? Those are users yeah. of that source of truth. And we're just talking about the basics here, too. We haven't even gotten into things where uh, providers, you know, could freeform, like clinical areas of interest and narrative bios and all that other fun stuff that that comes with the importance of having a good, strong provider profile. People listening in are probably going, "Okay, that first step, a centralized provider directory." or a provider data warehouse, PDW, is uh, step one. But even getting to step one is very difficult. What would you? What advice would you give them? Like if they're going to start down this path? Because typically that starts in the marketing suite, which don't own this data. I, you know, I think this is, you know, we, we talk about marketing a lot because they do own anything facing the patient, you know, the consumer side. Um, but I think this really is an issue that is it's organizational wide. So if we looked and we said, I, I would have a data summit first and foremost, you know, internally bringing together all the departments, the functions, the roles that require provider and location data, right? So it's not just the providers. We have our rooftop organizations that are equally as challenging to make sure that we have consistency on. And I would say bring all of these internal stakeholders together because they're going to be all disparate sources of data that ha will have variations of fields and all of that stuff but bringing those all together to say hey guys this is a, a an organization-wide effort this isn't a marketing effort this isn't this isn't a credentialing effort this isn't a, this is an organizational effort and you really have to have the stakeholders at the highest level buy into this and support it if I ever got an invite to a, a data summit at my health system, I'm not sure I would like be jumping at the chance because there's only a certain level of people that really see the value of this. I think part of it is also, you know, like you indicated, sharing 
the value of being able to consolidate this data. It's not a data issue. You're actually solving real life business cases like referral management. A patient, the ability to select the right types of, uh, you know, the, the right doctors for care. Uh, it goes into uh, submitting the right information to the payer websites. It goes into like making sure your Google listings are correct. The, the variety of use cases here are so diverse. Having a PDW approach is going to be critical for an organization. You know, Cynthia, I hope that six years from now that we don't meet again on this podcast and talk about why we haven't solved this problem, because I think it's very critical for our organization. If you are a stakeholder, whether it's on the marketing side or any any of this, you know, is just really going to and advocating for this at the highest level and bringing it, you know, it's all about the ROI a lot of the times, but also what what are we losing? You know, if we, if we are able to track back to inaccurate data and what we potentially are losing for the organization... I think, you know, losing potential patient volumes, you know, new patient volumes from coming in, also from a claims denial, you know, the payer side, inaccurate data leads to a loss of claims, you know, whether they're getting rejected and we're losing money because that appeals process is so expensive for our organizations to manage. So really uncovering and really understanding inaccurate data across the organization and what's the impact on our organizational from a financial standpoint. And I think that will end up getting those stakeholders that you're right, like data management is not sexy, um, but it's crucial to our bottom line in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. At, At the end of the day, that's really what it is. Cynthia, great Great interview, great conversation. Um, loved all the insights that you provide. I'm so glad that there's experts like you out there to help organizations navigate this tricky mess. You know, people listening and they may want to know more about you and your new company. How do they find you online? What are some ways that they could reach out to you? On LinkedIn, most definitely. But also I have a website, CynthiaNewtonConsulting.com. It's pretty easy. It's kind of long, but <laughs> um, easy to find. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll put the link to it in the show notes. So people, if you're listening in and you want to learn more and reach out to Cynthia, which I encourage you do, you do because she's super smart on this topic and among other topics too, you do a lot of uh, other things too. So um, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me to talk about this ever perplexing problem of provider data management. Thanks, Chris. It's always a fun, a fun um, day to be with you on your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Special thanks to Cynthia for coming back coming back on the show, right? Yeah. She's been on before. Yeah, a couple times. Um, appreciate her insights and, and time with us. Always good to catch up with her. Um, you know, if I'm lucky enough, uh, even see her in person a time or two a year at some of the conferences. Uh, speaking of conferences, if you sign up for the TPS report over on the website, you will also get links to any upcoming uh, education or conferences we think uh, either will be at or might be useful or, or you know, kind of big parts of our, our industry. So, uh, again, be sure to sign up over there. 
All right, Chris, uh, recommendations. What, uh, what do you got today? Reed, I don't know about you, but I like a good road trip. Like getting in the car and yeah. doing a really yeah, good yeah. road trip, right? Yeah. So, and one thing I like about road trips are sometimes those roadside attractions. You know, you drive by and they're like the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. big ball of twine or what have you. Here in Minnesota, we have a couple, like we have a statue of the Jolly Green Giant down yeah. in South Minneapolis and, you know, other things like that. To me, that's part of the, the joy of doing a road trip is sometimes just, you know, happenstance come across a roadside attraction that you go to. Well, I came across a website, kellyludwig.com. She calls the website Detour Art, a curated guide to artist-built environments that are off the beaten path, like they're on a road trip, so to speak. Okay. So imagine not the touristy ones where they come and then, you know, they kind of, you know, get you to buy a, a jackalope or whatever, right? You know, the, like things like that. These are more like artist built attractions that you can go and you can attend. And they're really unusual. Like, for example, Showman's Rest. It's a cemetery for circus folks in Oak, Southwest Oklahoma. The wow. reason why she recommends this is there a number of artists have created really great tombstones with circus scenes on them, elephants and trapeze artists and things <laughs> like that. On her website, she says, in Hugo, Oklahoma, which was, by the way, named after the French novelist Victor Hugo, they have a cemetery that's dedicated to people that worked in the circus. And that's because a number of circuses would come through Hugo, Oklahoma on their, you know, their road their road trips. And so she curates all of these artist-driven roadside attractions on her website. And her website is kellyludwig.com slash detour art. I'll put it in the show notes. It's really interesting. So next time you're on a road trip, read something to do. There you go. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I'm going to recommend something that most people probably already have, which makes it a bad recommendation maybe. But, uh, (laughs) I, uh, you know, I I like to recommend pens and, I don't know, different things like that or whatever. I have always liked and recently picked one up at a conference, you know, like at a vendor's booth or whatever. So it's got their logo on it. But just the Papermate felt tip pen. These are Papermate flare felt tip pens medium point so that's the 0.7 millimeter this one happens to be black i remember getting some some years ago from clemson when we were uh teaching and doing some stuff over there and so they were purple and like wrote in purple um and so that was that was kind of fun but yeah it's just kind of the old the standard felt tip pen i I don't i don't know how else to explain it but it's kind of a medium tip pen anyway you can get them in a million colors uh obviously you know you can get a four pack on amazon for about four dollars uh or you can pick up like here's one with um 12 assorted colors not assorted because i guess they're the same colors in each pack but anyway 12 different colors for uh, about 10 bucks on amazon so um yeah so i'm a big fan doesn't really bleed through works well in like moleskins and stuff but um not the moleskin you recommended last week, but normal moleskins, right? You could also mark them on your map as you're going to see those um, roadside attractions. I recommend. Yeah, exactly. There you go. It all comes together. Good point. Good point. All, <laughs> all roads lead back. There you go. All right, folks. Well, thanks again. Uh, another great week. Another great episode. Again, special thanks to Cynthia for coming on. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith. We'll see you next week.
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.